0: Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, so death spread to all, because all have sinned. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many." Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. This is the word of the Lord. Be, God. Charles Wesley was 40 years old. He and his brother John had struggled for a time after they were graduated from Oxford University. They were priests in the Church of England, their father a priest before them. They had grown up in a manse, a parsonage up at Epworth, a very small little town. Their father had pastored a little church for 37 years. The sanctuary is not as big as some of our Sunday school classrooms here at Boston Avenue. And now they were struggling. They believed the Church of England had lost something. Something they had seen in the eyes of Moravian Christians and the bowels of a ship caught in a hurricane in the North Atlantic. They were coming back from the colony of Georgia when the little ship ran into that hurricane. They thought they were going to die. They were frightened out of their minds. They went as far down into the ship's hold as they could And there they found this little group of German Moravian Christians quietly singing and praying. The Wesleys knew these people had something they didn't have. And when they got back to London, they decided to seek what these Moravian Christians had. And Charles had his heart strangely warmed, and a few nights later John did as well. And the next Sunday morning when the services were over, the bishop told them they could not preach in a pulpit again until they could constrain their enthusiasm. So they got on horseback and they rode across England, Wales, Scotland, and into Ireland for the next 50 years. Trying to help others gain the enthusiasm. At 40, Charles wrote, Love divine, all love's excelling. Joy of heaven has come down. Take away our bent to sinning. The Wesleys were reacting to some Christians of their day who talked about the total depravity of the human soul. But they did believe we have a bent to sinning. In every human, there is a tendency to set oneself up at the center, thereby pushing God and the other out of center. It's a tendency. It must be overcome if a person is to be whole and they believed God had done something to make that very thing possible. Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, we believe, in the year 60. It had been a little over 30 years since the death and resurrection of our Lord. Most of Paul's letters that we have are addressing specific concerns in specific churches he had founded. He had not yet been to Rome. He would get there. Scholars believe that he and Peter both died under the persecutions of Caesar Nero somewhere between 62 and 65. They believe he wrote this letter in the year 60. So this time he's not dealing with specific problems in the church at Rome. He doesn't know them. He's instead spelling out the faith as clearly as he knows how. Let's take a look. First of all, he alludes to what we know as the second chapter of Genesis, the older of the creation stories. We believe this story was told around campfires for hundreds of years. Rabbi Charles Sherman, Rabbi Mark Fitzerman believed this story was told around campfires for hundreds of years before it was finally written down as we have it now. It's a wonderful little story about God's going out onto the plain one morning when the dew had settled in the dust. He scoops up the moist earth, puts it on a wheel. Gail always says you couldn't make a person on a wheel because things have to be symmetrical on a wheel. But that's what it says in Hebrew. Like a potter at a wheel, this clay went round and round and God molded and fashioned it and finally took a deep breath and went, and the little man jumped down off the wheel. And God said, oh, that was wonderful. Why don't I make some other things and you name them? And so God made something and that was an elephant and he made something and that was a tiger and he made something and that was a giraffe. It's a wonderful little story and this man was very lonely and so God created a female. And what it says in Hebrew is Adam looked around at her and said, wow, this is more like it. (laughs) This is better than elephants and giraffes and tigers for sure. And God put this little couple in this beautiful garden and said, you have everything here you need. There's one tree you're not supposed to eat from because if you do, you'll die. Otherwise, everything's fine. See you later. And the big mistake was they talked to a snake who talked to them. And he said, what a wonderful place. I guess you can eat anything you want to eat. Well, almost, but not quite. Not off that tree. If we do, we'll die. Really? I can't imagine God telling you that. The truth is, if you were to eat from that tree, you would live as long as God and be as wise as God. And they said, I think I'll have a bite. So, here in this brief passage from Paul's letter, he uses three words for sin. Three different words. One is the Greek word hamartia, which we translate sin. It's from archery. When one fires an arrow and misses the target... Harmartia, missing the mark. The second word is the word we translate as trespass. We know that word. When I was a boy and I used to bird hunt with my dad, we would have access to some place we were hunting quail, and then you would get to a fence and there'd be a sign, no trespass, meaning don't cross this fence. This is my property. And Paul's understanding is, Adam and Eve, first humans, ventured into God's territory. Oh, really? We could be as wise as God? Oh, really? We could live as long as God? And the third word is translated for us as transgression. It comes from Latin to us, transgressari, which has to do with cutting across. Cutting across the will of God, violating what we've been told. First humans got it all wrong. They didn't trust what God had told them, and they violated His territory. Last May, Gail and I went to Italy. We spent a week in Venice. We took a couple of side trips on trains out of Venice before we moved on a little bit south. And one of those day trips was to Verona. In Verona... We walked the streets where famous, famous people had lived. Almost five hundred years before, in fifteen twenty eight, a baby was born there, his parents named him Paolo Cagliari, and when Paolo grew up he could paint. Wow, could he paint? And he decided to try his skills in the big place called Venice. There were two artists there who were known throughout Italy, Titian and Tintoretto. And this young man dared to start painting in Venice where these two giants were. And people asked, where are you from? Verona. Ah, Veronese. Veronese became his name in the painting world. Every day, Gail was kind enough to walk, walk, walk with me through Venice. I had all the churches marked on my map, and we went to church after church. You could walk in, and here was a masterpiece, 500 years old. Titian, Tintoretto, Veronese. Veronese painted the doges, the ruler, and his family, the beautiful furs, the lace collars. Amazing work 500 years ago, but his fascination was the baptism of Jesus. For 40 years, he painted it again and again and again, the baptism of Jesus. What is it like to believe that we can have water, water that symbolizes the love of God not for Christ Jesus, but for you and me to wash away our impurity, our unwillingness to trust, our unwillingness to move self out of center. In Italy, baptism was a big deal for centuries and centuries. When one goes to Pisa to see the leaning tower, you learn, of course, that was the bell tower in a three-building complex. That just south, north of the bell tower is the beautiful cathedral where Galileo sat one afternoon and saw the chandelier move and figured out the forces of gravity and that the earth must, in fact, be round. But there's another separate, beautiful building for one purpose to baptize people. Just to baptize. We were there one time and a guide. Grabbed a policeman, sort of dragged him into the baptistry and said, listen to this guy sing. And this baptistry is a beautiful, round little building. And this police officer began, everybody in Italy thinks they can sing. And this guy really could. It was amazing. Baptism. Veronese, focused on baptism. When he wasn't doing official commissionings for the royal family, he focused on the baptism of Jesus. Can we move away from our hamartia, our missing the mark, our trespassing, our transgressions? Number two, the Jews always believed that dying was a part of living. In their story about the great flood, it differs greatly from all the other stories we know about that flood. It was a common story. We know of 17 different accounts in the Middle East. All the tribal groups had a memory of a big flood one time, and scholars believe it probably occurred up there in modern-day Iraq between the tigris Euphrates River valleys that there must have been an unusually wet time and water just overflowed everything from those two rivers, and people thought it covered the whole earth. In all the other stories, the person who builds a boat and saves everybody gets to be God. In the Jewish story, the person who builds a boat and saves humankind and the animals on it finally gets off the boat, plants grapes, makes wine, gets drunk, embarrasses himself in front of his kids, and then he dies. Because that's what people do. They die. They all die. I was reading the Wall Street Journal early one morning recently, and I saw that William Inge's play, Picnic, is back on Broadway. William Inge wrote Picnic, and it was first staged in Broadway 1953. It's been 60 years. A dozen years after it won a Pulitzer Prize, I had a course in seminary called Preaching Values in Contemporary Literature, and our professor insisted we read the plays of William Inge. He's from Independence, Kansas. Did you know that? He's from Independence. In his play, Picnic, that won the Pulitzer Prize, much of the action takes place in a boarding house because his grandmother had a boarding house in Independence. He grew up looking at these old people sitting around, old women, a couple of younger ones. That's the people who are featured in Picnic, if you recall, when a swaggering, swashbuckling sort of young man comes into town, seduces one of the young women, and then gets on a bus to go to an alluring place called Tulsa, Oklahoma and begs her to follow him on the next bus. That's what picnic is about. It's about youth that's squandered and death that's just over the horizon. He also wrote bus stop. He also wrote the dark at the top of the stairs. He also wrote come back little Sheba. Story of an alcoholic and his wife who keep looking out the door for Sheba, who's never coming back. Because you see, William Inge battled alcoholism himself. When he was thirty-four years old, he joined AA and it helped him, but he never quite got the whole program. He kept writing about squandered youth, about how quickly it goes, and then we just get old and die. And at age 60, he decided to end his own life. It comes. It's a part of the season. It's a proper way to begin. Because only if this theme gets into our brains, from dust you came to dust you shall return, can Easter ever mean what it's supposed to mean. Number three. The grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus, Paul wrote, are far greater. Notice how wonderfully well Dr. Pencer picks out our hymns. This grace that is far greater than our sin, far more able to set right what's wrong with the world. What first humans got wrong, Jesus got right. When they failed to trust, Jesus trusted. When they cut across the will of God, he did the will of God and extended to all of us grace. Will you move unfaith to faith? Will you move self from center to other-centered? Three weeks ago was Groundhog Day. I saw it early that morning. These well-dressed old guys go out there to hoist this little groundhog out of the ground. It was snowing like crazy in Pennsylvania that morning, so when they hauled him up out of the ground and held him up, he did not see his shadow, and they quickly announced spring will be early this year. And every year now, one of the channels shows the movie Groundhog Day starring Bill Murray. If you haven't seen that movie, it's old now, you need to take a look. It's funny, it's a comedy, but it also has a very serious message. It's about a weatherman who is assigned to cover this hoisting of Pooks to Phil uh, out of the ground to see if he sees his shadow. Bill Murray is that weatherman, and when the alarm goes off and he starts scurrying around, different things go wrong. Things happen to him. He's struggling to get there on time, but he hasn't planned properly. He gets involved in traffic. There are crowds of people. And suddenly he's in bed, the alarm clock is going off, and it's Groundhog Day again. And the next day he makes different mistakes, but mistakes nonetheless, and things do not go well. And he's in bed, the alarm goes off, and it's Groundhog Day. And the movie goes on like this. His repeating Groundhog Day again and again and again, making some mistakes one day and others the next, but none of these days going well. And to finally near the end of the movie, it hits him. If this is the only day I'm going to have, then I should do my best to get it right. And this is the only day you've got February the 17th. 16th is gone. 18th is not here. Can you today trust God? Can you today move self out of sin? Number four. This one, in whom God's very being was somehow made flesh is our justification and our life Dr. Scott Peck wrote years ago in The Road Less Traveled that relationships are sort of like bank accounts there comes a time when you need a major withdrawal it can be loss of job It can be a death in the family. It can be a frustrating child or grandchild. When there are great draws on that relationship, and if you have not been making regular deposits, you will bankrupt that relationship. Well, in our communion services, we say, God, we failed. We did not make proper deposits into our relationship with you. But you made greater deposits for us. So that this relationship does not have to fail. You made the greatest deposit. And if we receive your gift, we can be justified. The books can balance because God has deposited into our account. And this is life. As Dr. Oden pointed out last Sunday night, John Wesley defines salvation as everything that happens to you from the moment grace intersects your life, and that may be even before you recognized it or knew how to respond to it. They quoted infant baptism as a perfect example of prevenient grace. The moment that grace intersected your life until glory with the Lord. All of that is salvation. All of that is life. Rick Hamlin has written that his father had been a a vibrant, very much alive man for almost 87 years. And then all of a sudden his health failed. He needed to move into assisted living. And after five months in assisted living, the doctor told the family, you should call in hospice. Hospice was wonderful. After a few days, they said to the family quietly, we're really near the end now. And so Rick was sitting by his father's bed, his father sleeping most of the time. said, so I looked at his hands. Wow, what a dad he'd been for almost 87 years. Taught me how to fish. Taught me how to ski. He and Mom sat on the front row every Sunday. Thought it helped the preacher, they thought, to sit really close to him. Sing loudly, even if they were a little off key. Dad always prayed at our meal times. And like most of us, he got in the habit of saying the same things. And I could say his grace about... Thank you for the food and always the hands that prepared it. Thank you for the food and the hands that prepared it. I sat there quietly whispering to my dad how grateful I was that I hoped he could hear me. What a great dad he had been. And suddenly he said, my father spoke. Quietly, haltingly he said, I am loved. And Rick has written, so are we all. Amen.